This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now, it's been a wonderful weekend for our neighbours in the United Kingdom, the coronation of King Charles III and Queen Camilla was an amazing event. We all watched it, uh, or many of us did, some denying it in this country, but certainly around the world, it was huge news. The majesty and the ceremony and all that attended to it appeals to people in a certain way. For the British people, the polls say that the royals are now not as loved and appreciated or indeed respected as they used to be. But it was nevertheless a day that most people who witnessed it will never forget. That's what the British do so well, the pageantry and all of that. There was also, of course, last week on Thursday, the local elections in which the Tory party got a hammering from not just the Labour Party, but the Lib Dems and the Greens. All of this raises questions in many people's minds. I lived in Britain for 17 years, and I was very fond of British people generally. But it does, when you think of the sleaze of the Boris Johnson effect and Liz Truss and others who've recently been in Downing Street, you wonder what's happened to Britain. And to talk about this weekend, what it means, and indeed what is happening politically and socially, we're joined by one of the most distinguished British journalists uh, and broadcasters, John Kampfner. John is also an author. His latest book, Why the Germans Do It Better, Notes from a Grown-Up Country, was a bestseller and highly acclaimed, and he's writing another book now about Berlin. Uh, John, thank you very much for joining us. The weekend in Britain and what preceded it at the polls was fascinating for political anoraks, but the colour, the ceremony, the sort of majestic day that was Saturday did capture the world's attention. It's extraordinary. Uh, CNN covered it live, everybody covered it live, and right around the world it was celebrated. What do you think it is that gives it that appeal? Hi there, Eamon. Well, I mean, first of all, two uh, confessions from me. 
yes. number one, that I wasn't in Britain over the weekend. I've been in Vienna and in Berlin and other places such as Budapest and Bratislava, otherwise known as the center of Europe, um, for the last few weeks. And I didn't watch it. I went jogging instead, and then I had a picnic with my wife in the beautiful park right opposite on a sunny day. Not to make some sort of point, not to cock a snook at anybody, just because I don't see it as particularly interesting. I'm not a Republican, only to the extent that, given the propensity for voters to do crazy things um, in the UK, um, parche Brexit, and and in so many other countries in Europe and around the world, if there if we did have a presidential election, we would end up we could have ended up with the likes of Boris Johnson, Nigel Farage, some uh, celebrity, who knows what. I mean, the Irish, um, you guys seem to have produced. Um, a succession of really respectable intellectual presidents, but um, and long may you do so. But um, and I had the pleasure once of me- meeting Michael D. Higgins in in Berlin uh, when he was uh, visiting, and he's just supremely um, smart and endearing. And the same goes for Mary Robinson and, and, and others. So therefore you, people can do it right. And having a Royal family that generally doesn't do harm, particularly, or at least the, the main ones don't, um, seems better than most. Why, you know, I had various incredulous Germans, Austrians, French friends all say, Oh my God, what, you know, wasn't it amazing? And I would just say, well, yes. you know, whatever. <laughs> I think it's partly because countries that are more grown up, that run in a more efficient, instrumental business like fashion, miss the the glamour um, of of royalty. And many of them, the Austrians used to have it, and the Germans used to have it, and the French famously used to. Um, and in some respects, they all have it, but they, they only miss it, I think, to a, a superficial level. Um, I think fundamentally, there is no sense of countries that have it are in any way better run. No, not at all. I mean, the question, I suppose, that arises from that remark is, is it only superficial in Britain among the hundreds of thousands of people who went, attended the street parties and that? I mean, is it a sort of opportunity um, well, I mean, I, I think there are three types of, of British approach, and, and the proportion is changing. Um, the Queen, Elizabeth II, had a, um, an affection, um, partly by dint of her incredible age and the fact that she was able to be so regal and so um, sensible um, yes. all the way through her life, right up until her death. I mean, she was meeting... Britain's latest, uh, you know, and little, little missed Prime Minister Liz Truss only two days before she died. Um, she was an extraordinary woman, and that transcended, I think, views of royalty. And yes. that is something Charles knows, uh, and I think he's smart enough to know that that is going to always be a problem for somebody taking the throne in his 70s. But as I say, there are three types of Brits. There are those who are the ardent royalists, who would turn up in the pouring rain on the procession route on its way to Westminster Abbey 
and would literally sort of fall to their knees um, in front of royalty. Um, there are those, and they are not insignificant in numbers, who are anti-royalty, and, and the police's overbearing response or preemptive arrests, which has been described in some quarters as authoritarian, I, I think it's more cack-handed, but we need to really think about it hard, uh, are testament. And there are quite a, there's an increasing number of people, particularly if you look at opinion polls among young people, yes. who they're not quite sure what they want to replace it with, but they don't relate to any of this stuff at all. The vast majority, I think, are people who might have watched it for 20 minutes, half an hour, on the basis that you, you, know, you might as well, and it looks pretty impressive. But you know, do they care that much about it? I think they feel sort of mildly benign towards the royal family. And as I say, going back to my original remark, Eamon, the absolute... Um, question that none of us can answer is if we didn't have it, what would we put in its place? Yes, indeed. It might be Boris Johnson president. Yeah. Boris Johnson. Uh, it, it, no, it's, it fascinates me. I mean, I watched a bit of it, but it didn't take up much of my day. But while I was watching it, I was wondering about its appeal around the world. And when you look at everyone who turned up and the way it was conducted, I, I think Charles... In particular, in terms of climate change, biodiversity, preservation of what are very important aspects of nature, is a man way ahead of his time. I, when I lived in Britain 50 years ago, now I can remember him uh, being a kind of figure of fun almost and called a tree hugger. Mm. But he, he was prescient, wasn't he? Well, he was on some things. I mean, his yes. views on architecture... You know, calling the extension of the National um, Gallery a carbuncle and just sort of wanting everybody to live in sort of homely, um, unimaginative. But I mean, you know, that's the, you know, let, let architects fight that corner. I'm not an architect, and you know, what do I know? But you're absolutely right. Is and he's going to struggle on uh, the precedent set by the Queen and her predecessors, largely not to get involved in politics, or at least not to do so in any way where they would leave a trace. The Queen did seem to have a certain sway with her prime ministers when she met them for their weekly audience, but she would have never have said something. Yet Charles, as you've just said, leaves a trail of very strongly held views about all manner of issues, particularly environmental ones that he can't disavow now. The question is, to what extent will he push them? He wanted to go to the um, COP um, environmental conference, and that was kiboshed by Rishi Sunak in one of his first acts as prime minister. So we'll see what happens in, in the future. I think it would be incredibly difficult for him not to say things. Yes, he's, he's known, I think, uh, as I understand it, for sending notes to prime ministers like Tony Blair and others going back that far, maybe a bit further, with suggestions or critiques of policy. But uh, he he have to stop that, I suppose. Let me ask you a, a, another question, because it's very relevant to us here. And that is in relation to the local elections last week, but more particularly about the apparent steady and irreversible decline in the Tory party and what it stands for. The sleaze that seems never to stop. The corruption 
you could associate with COVID and the behavior of Matt Hancock, who unbelievably was the Minister for Health, giving contracts and all the stealing that went on, the arrival of Johnson and the appalling prime ministership and behavior of a man who was well known to be a SPIV, really, uh, and in some cases a rather serious mm. SPIV. In one case that I can think of, giving the home address of a journalist to a friend of his who wanted to beat the journalist up. Mm. Yeah, well, which, uh, yeah, we you, can talk forever about sure. all his, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the question is, has something been lost in Britain? I remember Tory governments, I remember Margaret Thatcher, who was, I thought, a decent person. I didn't think she was corrupt. I thought she had, she treated people she worked with well, didn't agree with her politics entirely, but that wasn't the point. She and the people around her, Jeffrey Howe, people like that, mm. they seemed a different animal than what you see when you look at the cabinet today. Dominic Rabb got booted for bullying, but he was by no means the worst of the recent scoundrels, really, who have been in the cabinet or favoured by Johnson, Truss, or even Theresa May. I think there are two wider points before addressing the specific one. One is, and I always have to beware the sort of grumpy old man syndrome, um, the sort of things are always better in my, in my day. Um, you know, television, golden age of television, it was always better at a certain time and, you know, that sort of thing. Um, around the world, there has been a decline in governance. Yes. Um, alongside a, uh, absolute, uh, flowering, if that's not the right word, of populism and authoritarian populism. Uh, historians, political scientists will talk incessantly about the causes of it. Um, one of the causes was economic and financial globalization to the extent that countries couldn't really control their own exchequers. And if they couldn't do that, they couldn't really um, create the economic conditions for um, making public services and people's lives better. So they resorted to other things. And you, you see a malaise in governance in so many countries. That's the first point. The second right. is the political cycle point. Any party, again, in pretty much any country, with systems such as that, which are not coalitions, which are not term-defined um, and that sort of thing, but are able constitutionally to run and run, they run out of steam. The Conservatives, and I broadly accept your depiction of a much more grown-up Conservative Party in the 80s, and even in John Major's time, I, I've always had great respect yes. for John Major, not for some of the people around him. But um, uh, the you know by the time he uh, was bo spectacularly booted out by Tony Blair in '97, um, his party was mired in sleaze. Labour less so uh, by 2010, but it had been around 13 years, and it had been disfigured both by Iraq and also by Gordon Brown's scheming against Tony Blair. And by the time Gordon Brown finally got in after 10 years, he was exhausted yes. and had nothing else in in the tin. So 
those two things, cycles and broad global decline in governance, both in my view pertain. However, you are absolutely also right in saying that there is something deeply, deeply corroded in British conservatism. And it has moved both in terms of public morality and sleaze, in adherence to democratic values, um, quite often saying, not just sort of kick out asylum seekers to Rwanda, but sort of lock people up for having political views that you disagree with, all kinds of uh, mad and crazy and dangerous things um, that they say. It will be interesting to see, um, we'll come on to the results of the local elections, but if Keir Starmer does become prime minister um, next summer, more likely next autumn, 2024, with a majority or in a minority government, what then happens to the Conservative Party? All parties in opposition, in a positive way, go through a rethink, in a negative way, go through bloodletting. Will they seek an even more right-wing purification Yes, which will please those who want that kind of thing. Will that alienate the majority of the population or the most frightening of all of it? Will they go through this right wing move and that appeal to the population looking for easy solutions to very difficult global problems? Yes. And I, I something struck me while you were talking there, John, uh, the attempt to destroy the BBC and to uh, make it a subscription channel from 2027, which would effectively destroy it. Mm. The, the BBC and the recent appointment of a Mr. Sharp, mm. who had arranged an £800,000 uh, loan to Boris Johnson, was a friend of Johnson's and had got one of his rich friends to supply £800,000 uh, as a loan, and lo and behold, he's then appointed as chairman of the BBC. That kind of, that's low, isn't it? And it's, it's, it's not just the corrupt element of it, but the idea that somehow you could actually not appreciate what the BBC is and is to the wider world as, as well as to Britain. Um, the BBC has been under the cosh for as long as I can remember when Margaret Thatcher bombed Tripoli in the 80s, and Kate A.D. did some amazing reports from yes. there showing the um, uh, dismembered bodies and the carnage, and the government just did one of its usual sort of, we should privatise the BBC, awful bunch of, left of lefties and all that kind of thing. And that's always been the case. Labour was not much better, in some ways worse, um, going after and leading to the resignation of both the Director General and the Chairman for criticising the Iraq War. Yes. So this has been going on a long time. That the systemic problem the BBC faces, well, there are two. One is the fact that it's entirely dependent on government for its licence fee and for its funding, and therefore the more it challenges the government, the more it feels under threat from it, even though both sides maintain the two are not connected. And the other is the choice of the chairman, and the chairman then selects the director general, the boss, and it's in the gift of the sitting prime minister. So unless or until the BBC gets a system of ring-fenced financing that is not decided by government, and the appointment of its senior people not decided by government, it will always be uh, in that way beholden to it. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. The question of the caliber of people going into politics is certainly an issue here. The people with brains, ideas, certain integrity and ambition, of course, don't see politics as a way of changing things for the better, or indeed, they don't see politics being able to reflect the values they hold. And I wonder if that happens, how far democracy can last and go. If you have mediocrities who are, and, and that is one of the charges you could lay at the present Tory party and, and government and cabinet indeed, then government doesn't really work, does it? Democratic government. Well, as Winston Churchill famously said, the worst system known to man except for all the alternatives. <laughs> yes. So, um, you know, we have all been predicting the demise of democracy um, since it's in, in its incredibly imperfect various forms it um, sprung its head, and we will always be predicting its demise, and we hope that its demise will be um, deferred and delayed um, as much as possible. Nothing stays forever, unfortunately. What is so interesting, and I wrote a book 10 years or so ago, well before the, the Trump, in fact, 15 years or so ago, well before the Trump phenomenon and the populist phenomenon had established itself. It was based on the Singapore model. The book was called Freedom for Sale. Yes. And it was looking at how smart 21st century authoritarians um, could be attractive to people in many countries. And yes. that model was not the model that Putin has now 
descended into, or that Xi Jinping has now descended into. It was the model whereby people had private freedoms, but very circumscribed, circumscribed public freedoms. Nobody told them what to say at their kitchen table or even what to say in the pub. Nobody told them how to dress, where to send their kids on holiday. Nobody stopped them from traveling abroad. But what you were just strongly discouraged from doing was saying anything critical deliberately in the public domain. In return, you get a huge amount of security and you get a huge amount of prosperity. And I do, th and that has worked incredibly well for Singapore, albeit as a very small city-state. And it works for places like the UAE and elsewhere. And that is the challenge for democracy, not only to give people freedoms, not only to give people little bits of glamour and celebrity. There's the stuff um, this weekend uh, you know, bread and circuses in uh, in Britain, but it is also to improve people's lives and to be seen to be doing that. And the problem everywhere um, is uh, as a result of of economic financial systems and whatever else that we don't have time to go to. People's living standards in the last, certainly since the financial crash of two thousand seven eight, which is now fifteen years plus, an entire generation's living standards has deteriorated and the baby boomer generation just entering into retirement is the first generation to yes. bequeath a situation to the chil to their children that is worse than the one that they enjoyed yes and what you described there uh, uh, benign autocrats are thin on the ground it doesn't uh, go with the the, the territory there was a fear in the European Union that Brexit would lead to Britain becoming, some uh, people in the European Union felt, uh, a Singapore in Europe. Yep, Singapore uh, on the Thames. Yes, Singapore on the Thames. But it's not going to happen with the kind of raging incompetence one sees in the present Tory government. And I suppose the question I'm trying to get at in the next few minutes before we let you go John, is is there something fundamental happening to British people? Although what you just said about intergenerational things and the, for the first time ever, um, mm. the young people cannot look forward to what we as baby boomers have had. I think that is the most profound change of all, isn't it? Well, I mean, all, all routes um, inevitably seem to lead back to Brexit. And whatever yes. the folly of the Brexit result, whatever the folly of the Brexit negotiations, and we've gone on about them incessantly over the last yes. several years, and I hold to them at least as strongly now as I ever have done, there was a structural issue uh, or an ideological issue, to, to sound highfalutin about it, between those who wanted this illusory Singapore on, on the Thames, this low regulation, Celtic tiger type, um, Singapore type um, uh, country that would attract inward investment from uh, the global south, from China, from India, um, etc. Um, and in so doing, um, undermine the European Union because um, everything was so much more yes. free market and well, all of that. So that sort of right-wing, um, very free market view versus the political imperative, which was to keep sweet the people who 
enabled the 2019 victory, otherwise known as the Red Wall, in the north of England. Uh, people of predominantly um, working class, uh, former industrial cities who wanted none of that. They wanted places where their hospital worked and their schools worked and their streets were safe from crime, from crime and that involved public spending. So you had two completely different yes. economic critiques and never the twain shall meet. Now, the, the, the Liz Trussian Brexiteer um, swivel-eyed purists <laughs> would argue that Brexit, had, you know, they, they, people already talking about the Daily Telegraph talks about the failures of Brexit, but that's because we never had real Brexit. We never yes. allowed this brilliant entrepreneurial <laughs> spirit of Britain to be unleashed. Well, you know, that's a great counterfactual of history. Now, that has, I've always argued, going back to your point about what is the, you know, the fundamental problems of Britain, again, there are problems everywhere, but there is something very particular going on in Britain. As Dean Acheson, former US Secretary of State, said in the 1950s, lost an empire still in search well, role. Role, yes. And that was 70 years ago, and nothing has changed. In many ways, it's got worse. It's a country that has delusions of grandeur, that uses all this pomp and circumstance to apply as balm onto the wound of a country that knows it isn't what it was, but actually should relax into that. Look at Yes. Holland and how you know um, wealthy it used to be Portugal, Spain, France, even you know I'm in Austria. The Austro-Hungarian Empire um, pretty much ran the whole of of Europe and beyond into Turkey for uh, for centuries. And you can be a proud middle-ranking European country yes. and just get used to it. But the Brits can't seem to get around it. And I've always argued. Amen. that Brexit was never the cause of anything. It was a symptom of something yes. much longer term. A final question, John, and it will seem a bit vulgar in the light of the interesting conversation and thoughts you've offered us. The Tories wouldn't, would they, seek to appoint Boris Johnson party leader in desperation if they felt he was the only person who could get the votes they require to stay in power uh, after 2024 and the elections that will be held in 2024? Well, never say never. Um, and the Tories have done many mad things over the last several years. Uh, Boris Johnson, Liz Truss being um, two points uh, in, in order. They um, He's the uh, proven vote winner. He won the Brexit vote. He won the election in 2019 with an 80-seat majority. But yeah, I mean, all those things are true, uh, Eamon, but he um, fell off a cliff. He has got all this um, uh, uh, parliamentary accusations against him for flouting lockdown. But more than that, you just look at him and you know he is a spent force. The Tories uh, don't like, well, actually, some Tories are quite relaxed about losing the next election. They think it's good, you know, it's a good opportunity to 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 sort themselves out. But most of them, obviously, particularly MPs, they don't want to lose their seats. So they're floundering around. They don't like the fact that Rishi Sunak um, is a technocrat. He's still a very right wing one, but a technocrat um, largely, and they don't like 
they've convinced themselves that showbiz is better than technocracy and they sort of worry that he's leading them to, to a defeat and blaming him rather than the situation of a party that's absolutely beyond its its sell-by date. But I still do not think they're going to go after him. I mean, in so doing, what little credibility they've got around uh, the country will absolutely uh, disappear, and they would head, if led by Johnson or anyone else, if truth be, uh, they would head for a cataclysmic defeat next time around. As it is, I think they are going to lead, well, who knows how, how to predict these things, but if you were betting now on the basis of the local election results, the very worst Starmer will get will be a minority government. Yes. Um, the very best he will get would be a comfortable without massive majority government. That in any normal functioning democratic system is not a disaster for the conservatives and they should show some contrition and some stability and learn the lessons and all countries need a strong opposition come back with a sensible opposition okay john we're very grateful to you i don't want to ever have to play this back yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you when you well i tell you if any of that happened amen i mean i'm out of the country enough as it is <laughs> you would never see me just merch Britain's door if any of that happened again. Okay, John Kampfner, one of the most distinguished uh, journalists, broadcasters, and authors in Britain. It's a great pleasure. Uh, enjoy your time in Vienna, and uh, we hope to talk to you soon. Thank you very much indeed. We're grateful to John, to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.